0: Hello, friends, and welcome back. My name is Sergio, and I am the handler for Mayday's Delta Green campaign, Doomed to Repeat. With me again is the Asa Darabondi of handlers, Black Project Gaming's Vince. How are you, friend? Hey man, good
1: to be here, glad to be back, and, and of course, glad to have everyone tuning in. Uh, if this is your first time on our channel, welcome to you. We're part of Mayday Roleplay. We play tabletop role-playing games like Delta Green, obviously. And God, let me tell you, we, we got more coming. More coming yeah, down the pike. In,
0: in, in fact, I think well, by the time this airs, our second season of Orpheus will already be out.
1: So needless to say, there is something for everyone, and all of it is available in podcast or video format completely free. Uh, so check it out. Uh, on top of that, though, We've got our Patreon. Uh, We got to plug the Patreon, and man, let me tell you, it's it's been uh, business is a booming Uh, with our Discord. I don't. I. I would be challenged to find a crazier corner of the internet than our Discord. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, the discussions we get into there, uh, it's great. You talk about found family and and linking up with the, with you know new friends and uh, organizing games. I mean, it doesn't get much better than our Discord. So that alone is worth the price of admission. But then on top of that, you know, Caleb is going to be releasing one-on-one sessions for Vampire: The Masquerade. I'll probably have some content coming out for Orpheus, and then you get amazing videos like uh, you know the supplementary material to our guide to impossible landscapes which we're going to
0: discuss today so there you have it absolutely love it amazing Um, now if you've watched our first two episodes then you know that there is no way out but through so i'd like everyone to open your red books to page 616 and read along because you found the dead drop a guide to running impossible landscapes Vince, in our previous episode, uh, we went over the Night Floors, the introductory scenario for Impossible Landscapes. And while it is a doozy, it pales in comparison to the next chapter, a volume of Secret Faces. Uh, This episode, we'll be discussing the first half of this scenario. There is so much to talk about that we had to split it in two. We'll cover what I see as the Holy Trinity of this scenario, uh, Operation India Moon, exploring the Dorchester House, and eventually involving Delta Green. Uh, I've read the scenario for the first time. I'll be approaching our discussion like a handler who has got those first questions. Lots of dumb questions that we hope Vince will spin into illuminating answers. Uh, We've also received our first listener question that we will be getting to eventually. Uh, Those of you tuning in, if you have questions about the campaign... You can submit them to us, and we will answer them in the next episode, or the soonest episode. Finally, as a warning, big time spoilers ahead. If you are a player in Impossible Landscapes, you need to make like Abigail Wright and disappear. But if you're interested in running, or currently running, this campaign, welcome to the show. Okay, Vince, getting past all of my Impossible Landscape puns. Uh, We need to talk about it. What is A Volume of Secret Faces about?
1: So, um, where to begin? So, long story short, A Volume of Secret Faces is the next phase in the characters the agents uh, inevitable descent into and towards Carcosa it is uh, it takes it picks up 20 years later so 20 years after uh, the night floors in 2015 we find the players brought together again uh, by an unusual summons to meet with uh, an agent calling himself Exeter in Boston Massachusetts to look into the disappearance of several uh, ostensibly Delta Green agents that had been uh, committed to the Dorchester house psychiatric facility and from there kind of that that inevitable discovery that they have not left the night world behind uh, and if anything the Yellow King is just beckoning them deeper into um, that, that miasma and morass of of unnatural influence
0: mm-hmm and we begin kind of right at the end something we did not bring up at the end of the last episode is that uh, the book uh, encourages you to have a couple of home pursuits with the players uh, to show this passage of, of 20 years
1: it does yeah so so the the assumption is that um, the players will you know of course have remained with Delta Green during this 20 year gap in some way shape or form And so part of that is you know, honestly it's kind of a way to hit the fast forward button uh this gap is a great place to kind of introduce other scenarios you may want to run with your players if you're planning on doing a long more drawn out campaign um you know throw some new scenarios in there that to to kind of show the passage of time show what they've been up to in, in that gap between night floors and volume uh otherwise you can do what i did which is we just went right into it and we ran this these these home scenes Um, So, long story short, when it comes to this transitional period, um, you've got, uh, essentially, you choose one to two damaged veteran packages. Uh, Hard experience, um, you know, adapted to to violence, helplessness, that kind of thing, and then, yeah, things man was not meant to know. You'll choose three home pursuits. Uh, There are some uh, rule changes, like for instance, you'll get a 20% bonus to each roll, and you'll double the gains and the losses in any uh, bond and sanity
0: uh, roll. I guess that's Uh, to make up for the massive amount of time. You know, it, it doesn't make sense you'd only have three home pursuits in 20 years, so I guess that would make sense.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So while you're only technically choosing three home pursuits, the bonuses are kind of, uh, in, in this case, doubled, to show you know to, to kind of show that wider expanse of time.
0: There is an interesting element, which is the estranged bonds. The, the the scenario suggests that they lose a bond and then gain a new one. Can you go into some detail about that? Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So um, everyone will um, essentially lose one bond due to alienation, betrayal, or death. Uh, So something the book suggests is that you take your agents, your players, bonds, and you ascribe symptoms to them. You know, they they refer to it as poison bonds. So for example, um, you know, if it's a romantic relationship, an example being a spouse or a significant other, some of the suggested symptoms are accusatory, addicted, jaded, or cheating. To kind of show how that relationship has degraded over time and there's there's a, a few other examples in there too that give you a great starting off point um, so you'll ascribe those symptoms to kind of explain how that relationship deteriorated over those next 20 years the, most interestingly though one bond of the handlers choice will actually die in mid 2007 Uh, from either an accidental overdose, a car accident, a mugging gone wrong, or suicide. An agent will gain a new bond with the same score, so it's not a complete and total loss that sets them up for failure moving forward. But it's something to further connect them to the lore of Impossible Landscapes. Because in 2007, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go back through the history of the document, uh, a play ended up being put on in Chicago that was essentially a, uh, a new telling of the king in yellow. And so another little tie there tying the agent into that play, into the yellow king himself and showing that it had effects beyond just that individual into their closest bonds.
0: There are so many clues that link to other clues in this that I, I didn't think it was possible to write something like this. It's it's really interesting. and. Maybe we should kind of get into it now because it does relate to the question that was submitted. Uh, One of our patrons named Martha Makes, uh, they had a question regarding all of these extra bits and bobs that you can find in this scenario. Uh, Researching Dr. Barbus, researching the staff of the Dorchester House. Uh, There are so many avenues you can go down and uh, I think... It seems like the experience of a lot of handlers is the players will miss the majority of this. Um, Martha had a question specifically, how might you empower the players um, so that they don't lose or they don't miss some of this uh, information? Um, What could you do as a handler to ensure that they at least have been given every opportunity possible to look deeper into some of these clues?
1: that's a that's a really good question um honestly when it comes down to it i i let the players drive the train um this is this can be as kind of rapid a descent as they want or it can be as as long and meandering as they desire um at the end of the day if some of these little tidbits are not crucial story bits they're more like the way I've always viewed it, it's kind of like Viscid, right? If you look at Viscid, which is another debt Willer scenario, you have that whole Jordan Springs storage, uh, you know, component to the to the to the operation where the players could end up following down that that Anseal Incorporated rabbit hole and end up finding this majestic treasure trove that is also rigged to frickin' explode if they try to break in. Um, but when I ran that, my players didn't go anywhere near Jordan Springs. I will also say it might be useful to uh, um, have a player or choose one of the players, depending on their background and what kind of character they're playing, have been involved or in some way connected to the Majestic Delta Green War that kicked off in the in you know the late nineties, early two thousands. To again kind of play up that paranoia, you know, somebody who's aware that you know they're they're in the Cowboys. Like that's the whole point of the campaign is the players are supposed to be in the Cowboys um, or the Outlaws at this point, so. You know, another area of paranoia, like you withstood the, the destruction of Delta Crane, you know, by, by, ins- you know, insidious forces both inside and out. So, you know, having a player that maybe in this 20 years time span has become more paranoia. I mean, shit. You, if you have a player who chooses paranoia, some kind of disorder or something along those lines, that that's your, that's your, your golden ticket to exploit some of these, these little Red, not necessarily red herrings, but you know what
0: I mean. Th- those are two excellent points. I forgot all about the fact that the the, the era this takes place and they should be at the height of their paranoia. Yep. Okay, so I think we've gotten through that difficult uh, first uh, hurdle of thinking about how, how do you approach this? Uh, let's get into the actual story here. Um, where do you want to start in terms of how the players might approach this?
1: So uh, the whole thing kicks off with each agent that that was connected to the night floors, receiving an invitation at their residence. How you want to play this? Because I, I got similar questions, and I realize handlers have gotten have gotten very similar questions from their players. Um, you know, were the agents all in the same cell over these past twenty years? Were they scattered to the wind in different cells and are just now being brought back together? I'd say it's entirely up to you. Um, again, this might be a little avenue for you to, to use to kind of play up the unusual nature of this operation. If these are people who haven't seen each other in 10, 15 plus years, and now all of a sudden they're working together again, uh, that's something that gets them scratching their heads. So um, we received the invitation to the Gateway Bridges restaurant, and if you'll remember, deep cut, uh, the napkin upon which we found the uh, the scribe and the lion, the the schematics sketched on, were GBR napkins, which did not exist in 1995. And now in 2015, the agents are being invited to that restaurant
0: by Exeter. Do you usually leave the clues with the uh, uh, players, like the handouts and stuff? Um, Yes. I know you run it online and stuff like that, but do you find that they often just like will look back at it?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I would, I had like a specific handout folder set up in Discord where I would just drop those things in there. And it, it was funny. Sometimes it would just over their head. And then one day somebody would just be scrolling through and be like, holy shit, wait a second. Um, but other times I would have to call for like um, an intelligence or like specifically when the players actually ended up face to face with the line. And it was like, you remember seeing something like this on a napkin 20 years ago. So, yeah, some, sometimes you got to hit them over the head with um, it. But with the invitation itself, what's interesting about that is um, you can study the writing depending on your art skills. You can examine the writing with forensics, examine the paper stock. Again, depends on how paranoid your players are. But then if they rip car, apart the paper, they find this hidden exemplar in the back, um, which is very strange. But then it has the symbol or the sigil of um, who is it? Of Person, which the agents first ran into or would have encountered in uh, Abigail Wright's apartment in the night forest. So again, more doesn't necessarily lead anywhere, but it's more indications of something weird is going on.
0: Yeah, I think I think the players finding that Ars Goetia as soon as possible will really open it up to them. Um, yeah, you, I, I feel like handlers should try to encourage that they find it as soon as possible.
1: As long as they read it. As long as they read it. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So one of the uh, one of the first things I gave my players when they went into the night floors was that one of the manifestations is, um, a you know, two arms that are you know uh, alluded to belonging to Doctor Barbus, exit a door and drop a box in, in the hallway and then close the door and disappear. Inside is the uh, uh, the high, the hygromentia, which is like another version of the Ars Goetia. So it would have it would have it'd be something that they would have access to that could do that. So you can give it to them early. They just got to read the damn thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so long story short, they get the invitation and they are called inevitably to uh, the Gateway Bridges restaurant where they they meet with uh, Dr. Barbas who introduces himself as Agent Exeter. Um, and then there's a, there's a couple of avenues you could use to kind of find out who you're dealing
0: with, but we'll get to that. Do you just introduce his actual name or, I mean, because I feel like a, a, yeah, an actual handler or, excuse me, a case officer might try to hide their name as best as possible. How did you handle it?
1: Yeah, so I just had him introduce his Exeter. He stayed with Exeter, um, which another, this is also weird, right? Is if you're familiar with the the Delta Green lore, especially with the cell structure, most of the times agents are only going to have contact with the cell immediately before and immediately after their letter so in the case of m cell they would ostensibly only have access or or only have contact with l cell and n cell for them to have access to somebody with the name exeter imply that they're a part of e cell way way outside of t- typical opsec measures so an- another indicator this is fucking weird
0: um I was I was wondering, you know, going along the lines of, again, getting them to look at those clues that they might not think of, you know, if he's if Exeter is is paying for the lunch or something like that, he could always make a mistake, like put a credit card down or, you know, in opening his wallet. There's a there's a business card that maybe says a name. I just feel like getting his name to them would be beneficial as it leads to so many things.
1: It absolutely does. Yeah, Um, there's. So if they decide to do surveillance beforehand, they'll see him arrive in his vehicle. They can run the license plate using their their um, you know their the records they have access to and, and identify him as Doctor Doctor Barbus. Because the implication here is that Doctor Barbus is already compromised. He's already insane. So if he slips up and makes a mistake, then that you know hey make us make a you know search roll to spot
0: the last name of the credit card he lays down. Right. And, and with all of this discussion of like cluing in your players as much as possible, I do have to say that the reveal that all of this is just a complete ruse of the of the king in yellow is such a satisfying re- reveal that it, it really is kind of a delicate balance of, of doing this. But I, I do think the players will have to go pretty far down the rabbit hole before they realize that it's all basically a ruse. But it's, it's definitely worth kind of holding your cards as best you can. 100%. I totally agree.
1: Um, but once they meet with, with Exeter, with Barbis, the whole objective, the whole task that they're presented with is that they are to um, investigate the disappearance of however many agents. The book suggests that you you pair the list down to the exact number of agents that, that you have at the table. The, the, the intent being to sow some confusion as to were they, these missing agents all along? Were they always patients in Dorchester? all of that. As eventually
0: um, we'll get into Dorchester where they can't escape and they are suddenly the, the uh, patients. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, the connection to the night floors though comes when, uh, you know, as, as Exeter is explaining their disappearance, he shows them a footage uh, or uh, an image of a message left in one of their cells, which says Abigail Wright has gone to sea, cross the waves to rescue me in the ship both tall and fine. She rounds the corner marking time. So of course the allusion to Abigail Wright, who they never found in 95. It's that automatic hook to bring them back in and make them realize that they didn't leave uh, the
0: Macalester building too far behind. One thing that we might wanna cover though is the importance of Dr. Barbas. I mean, it, it really is kind of key that if you get into him, you can learn sooner or later that he is either insane or a a member of the, the court of the King in Yellow, uh, where he is unwittingly helping. Um, there's really a lot to learn by kind of looking into him.
1: There, there is and the way it happened with my players is obviously once we exited a volume of secret faces and moved on to like a map made of skin it was obvious that they were led there it was a trap all their suspicions about it not being legitimate were correct it kind of verified all of their their worst kind of paranoid thoughts about what was going on so it was at that point they decided to look into Barbas because that was the the origin point for them and so that's what led them back to his place um i I could see players uh you know following him home after you know after they meet with him at the restaurant like because if you've got all night and you're not going to be going to dorchester until the morning they might be proactive and think something's weird about this let's follow this guy they follow him home and then there's a whole bit about what you see when you conduct surveillance on his house um waiting until he leaves breaking in all the all the items you can find there so there's there's ways to go about it it really it's it's This is, while some would, you know, I I would say incorrectly argue that Impossible Landscapes is very railroady, um, these early scenarios are still very much player driven and the direction they go and how quickly you get there.
0: Yeah, so let's say they go the digital route. I believe there's an email correspondence that they can have with uh, the detective that worked with Dr. Barbus, Emmeline Skehan. Am I pronouncing that name?
1: Yeah, Skehan, I believe, yeah. or Skehan. Yeah. So um, that's one so, avenue, of
0: kind of learning that he's maybe lost it a little bit or things like that.
1: Yeah, so that's if they decide to actually look into Barbus. That's if they decide to actually start like looking into his name researching his connection to law enforcement um of course they'll find out that he is um he's with the massachusetts state police uh he uh, you know they can pull strings to get his personnel records but they'll eventually find out that he was kind of on a leave of absence as a result of his um encounter with Emmeline skihan the detective um yeah, they. Um, she saw him writing on a piece of thick-tan paper with an old-looking pen. Um, she's worried for his sanity. He was completely deranged. In June of 2015, she entered his office unannounced, and he attacked her, and that's kind of what led to
0: his leave of absence. And then um, where does the state trooper, Michael Dawkins come into play? Is he the investigator of that incident, or how how is he connected?
1: So he's just a. uh, Since Barbus is with the state police, he's just a state trooper who has worked with him for the past four years. Um, So somebody who's had some interaction with him that may be able to speak to
0: his um, his declining mental state. And probably the two most important things about Barbus, I would say, is that he built the scribe and he built the lion. uh, Those two things that you can find in his home, because really all of this is just a warning to the players. You know. Yes. Barbus is compromised, and what you're walking into is going to most likely be some kind of a trap. Yep, absolutely. But but let's say they fall for that trap and they go to the Dorchester house. Just like the night floors, they have to go at night. And I assume that could be a problem with very paranoid players. What are some methods you recommend or that the book might recommend to get them in there at night?
1: <laughs> so... Um... Uh, my play, my players, uh, God love them, uh, they're just like, hey, let's spend the night um, after day one. So I was like, okay, well, I don't have to get you here at all. Um, so the uh, they actually have a, uh, a section in the book called Getting Agents into Dorchester House After Dark, which is great. There's a lot of great hints in there. Um, so the first recommendation is to simply stall. Um Play up that, you know, there are secret areas that may exist within the Dorchester house, uh, facility itself that they can't get to kind of feed them red herrings to keep them kind of roped in, um, have time pass, you know, depending on who they talk to, what they look for, where they go, um, to where eventually it's like, Hey, you know, you look up and it's, you guys have been here all day. Like, what did you think was going to happen? It's we're, we're at night now. Um, you know, or that you know, the idea that a particularly out-of-the-way area um, might be, a, you know, a good hiding spot for people to kind of hide out until the heat dies down. So maybe that's where the missing agents are at. Something along those lines. Um, then you have false calls. Um, you know, if somebody is getting, you know. Um, If you've got a a team that splits up, maybe they start, you know, one one half of the team starts getting calls from the other half saying they're trapped in the Dorchester house, come get them. And then it all kind of brings them in. Um, One is kind of just the the proverbial, you know, rock over the head where you just have them sedated during the day and kept there until it's dark. Um, And then the one that I think would probably be... One of the most effective, because uh, understandably, the disappearance of Abby um, and not being able to find her in the night floors is probably like a, a, a sticking point for a lot of the both the players and the characters, right? Like this is this is something they weren't able to resolve. Um, so have one of the patients just absentmindedly mention that Abby lives in Dorchester House at night, um, you know, and, and kind of rope them in back that way. So it's like, okay, we got to come back at night, find Abby, and then...
0: Although observant players should be able to recognize the pattern of at night, things are different here. And so they should almost have or be anticipating that, uh, you know, whether they're avoiding it at night or whether they realize the only way to get answers is we got to go at night. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and I think uh, if you've got particularly like paranoid and stubborn players who just are not like not going to stay, um, you know, after a few days, maybe they are finally jumped and they are finally sedated or, You know, the the corruption from the night world has reached such a point where time no longer works right in the Dorchester house. And when it feels like 15 minutes, it's really been
0: five hours and now it's nighttime. So something along those lines. Um, So really, the, the staff and the patients are all kind of clues. Into letting the agents know this is a source of the corruption. Um, this is a way to get into the night floors again. A- anything else really important that needs to be known about the these folks, or, or should we get into just the, the, the fact that these players are are meant to get stuck in here?
1: Yeah, I would say the 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 big thing to play up, especially once the players get stuck in there at night, is that they are they need to make contact with Bale. Because bail is going to lead them to the next phase, um, so whether that's through Mr. Wild, whether that's through Sunshine, whether it's through any one of the under, other patients, um, you know, have the the intent should be to always
0: steer steer them towards bail, towards communicating with bail. With that said, I mean, they're supposed to be trapped here. It should feel like some serious time has passed. I think at least, you know, 24 to 48 hours before they get that clue. So I would yes. say maybe, you know, let some of the, the staff and the patients really screw with them uh, before you get that tidbit of head to bail.
1: Yep, absolutely. I, I, I uh we had uh, some group therapy sessions with Doctor Maximo Friend. Um, you know, they got they got introduced to the Cotton Candy Room, which was uh, a particularly if you were to ask me for one of my favorite set pieces, that'd be one of them. Um, the Cotton Candy Room, where you know the Patsu is extracted from the eye. Um, the group therapy session was really cool.
0: Um, the Patsu will become important later, but yeah. So yeah, you're suggesting you know make them live a day or two of a patient's life here at the Dorchester House
1: yeah i i didn't do that um i kind of again like just kind of we we just we were all gas no brakes for a little bit there um but yeah play it up especially if you've got time and it's just something you're trying to draw out um when time doesn't matter so much anymore having it do all sorts of weird and wacky things where it just doesn't really matter. And sometimes five minutes have passed and it feels like five hours or five hours until even five minutes, continually mess with them, play up the
0: surreal, the, the surreal nature of the campaign for sure. Okay. So they find him. He suggests what, that they should see, watch a play, correct?
1: Yeah. He leads them down into, um, into a, a part of the Dorchester house, which is essentially the, the, the basement, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you know leads them to a theater where they they sit and watch this play uh you know the clown that if astute players recognized from the very beginning of the night floors there was the child-sized clown dancing with the paper dragon they're seeing that happen once again um on this stage it's uh you know the the child clown dancing with the dragon um and of course you know depending on the corruption levels bail can explain different facets of the king and yellow lore to them about what the play and what the dance is representing. Um, but eventually he's going to instruct
0: them. Like the, the Patsu is the key. You got to drink the Patsu, um, to, to disappear. And, and, uh, it'll be offered at the end of the play, right? The clown, I believe has a, a vial or something like that.
1: Yes. Yeah. He'll drag the paper dragon out. Um, he rips it open and inside is a thermos glass uh thermosized glass container filled with with that patsu oil um it's identical you know to to what they have they've seen referred to as patsu uh they'll twist it off he'll say the patsu is the way out he'll drink it and disappear um that's when the fun begins (laughs) (laughs) um the uh tiny clown gets bigger and then will chase uh the players will chase the agents, um, and will one hit kill them if you're not careful,
0: which is what happened to literally two of mine. just like boop them on, a no- on the nose, and they just turn into so much patsu.
1: Right. Yeah, they literally explode. Um, I lost two players during this chase sequence, um, so two of my four uh, died during during
0: this this sequence. Let me ask you this about the chase: How do you handle? the fact that you know at the end of the play the clown is probably either on stage or maybe they run off stage however you want to handle it how do you imply that threat before the players to give the players enough time how do you warn them that this is about to be bad uh sure a a clown walking up to you creepily is weird but how do you really imply that threat of you need to get away from this thing
1: definitely like with each step it takes towards you it gets bigger because that's it's supposed to get bigger and bigger Um, you know the the going from a small childlike clown to something now towering and massive bigger than your tallest agent um, and kind of looming menacingly playing up that sense of menace that sense of threat
0: Um, maybe maybe it's in its body language as well it's maybe cracking its knuckles or it's coming towards you like it wants to touch you with its hands yeah yeah Like a
1: more feral kind of posture, Um, you know, it's crouching down some because of its height and it's, you know, its fingers are long, just something to just, just, yeah, to really, uh, to me, feral is like the first word that would come to mind is like, play up that
0: kind of feral nature. I like that idea. You could even have, because I believe it's wearing a mask, right? It is. I like the idea of even hearing growling or something coming from behind the mask. It suddenly is changing. I like that there's a little note that um, another player can drink the Patsu of one of the other players that just exploded, but will suffer from helplessness. Yep, exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, so you can so have that scary
0: clown chase sequence here.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, it, it's it's an intense sequence, and it should be. Um, there's a lot of different little... Um, Areas, you know, you can you can highlight like the shifting nature of backstage. They catch different glimpses at different times A um, long story short the, the patsu kind of disappears and reappears over over and over again after someone drinks it It'll be gone, but then it'll reappear um, So essentially they got to make a luck roll and if they fail the the liquid is 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 not there um, or they simply can't drink it. They're too engaged in escaping, but if they
0: succeed, then they can drink it, and then they immediately disappear. Is there anything else about this moment, which seems to be kind of the, the climax of the scenario that is important to understand? Uh, it sounds like it's basically get the players into the Dorchester house, make them feel helpless as they are trapped, and then reveal the, the, the only way out. Absolutely,
1: yeah. It's 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 starting to really re-emphasize the whole underlying um, objective of this whole campaign. The only way out is through, um, and it's a great avenue for them to kind of really realize, um, you know, that get you know that sinking realization that you know everything they thought they left behind in 1995 with the destruction of the McAllister, they had never left.
0: Okay, the players. Survive. They make it out. They drink the Patsu. Uh, What happens next to them?
1: They wake back up. In a um, totally
0: random house, I
1: believe. In a totally random house, yeah. In an unoccupied uh, residential area. um, In an unoccupied home. I got the impression the
0: home was for sale. Like there's a real estate um, uh, tag and stuff like that on it.
1: Yeah, it's still in Boston, it's like a residential area, but yeah, there's like a for sale sign out front. Um, When they wake up, the first thing they see is is another sigil um, from the Ars Goetia for Malthus this time. of course at this point you know if when agents are in the night worlds they don't sustain any temporary insanity or anything like that but if they did go temporarily insane or they did hit their breaking point that all comes
0: home to roost the second they're back in the real world Um, I love the idea of like three or four agents all hitting their breaking points at the same time so like neighbors can hear people screaming in this empty house maybe the police are called who knows how bad it can get yeah that's (laughs) exactly
1: it can get real bad um (laughs) Which is amazing. I love how bad it can get. Uh, but the next big part, the, the next big lead, happens when uh, this this entity called the Clockwork Child, um, that the agents may or may not have encountered in the night floors, essentially is on the front step of the residence with this with this letter with this note. Um, also specifically,
0: with the door. It's right there.
1: Yep. Gotcha. Yep. I f- in fact, uh, it'll appear to the agent with the highest corruption rating in a manner in which it is visible only to them, out a window. Reflection in a mirror, um, or you know, or a shadow in a hall that only the agent can see—something like that. So it'll it'll come to them, it'll approach them, it'll have this note.
0: That's a pretty good suggestion. Is for um, when they are in the Dorchester House, they should come across the Clockwork Child because then it then it will be obvious that this is a connection.
1: Yeah, yeah. If if they didn't encounter it, in the night floors have it appear at some point in time in in the um, in Dorchester House for sure, or just have it kind of continuously show up again and again um absolutely just an implication that this thing is connected to all of this um but it'll approach with the with the note that'll essentially direct the players to find the hotel brothel bin find J.C. Lynn's, bring him his bottle and it will be signed uh,
0: by Abigail Wright so the, the 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 tracks are late for the next uh scenario find hotel brothel bin like you said find uh, the writer to give them the bottle um but there is a lot left to discuss about this scenario. There's the entire involvement with Delta Green that we haven't even gotten into yet. I think now is probably a good time to take a break and in the next episode, we'll go into some of those details. There's a, we'll go into more details about a lot of these NPCs and this whole involvement of Delta Green and how you would handle it. Um, but this was really illuminating and, and kind of helped put into perspective how you are going to handle this big scenario.
1: It, it's a it's a beast. Um, it takes a lot of reading, a lot of prep, a lot of kind of connecting the dots, and making sure you've laid the groundwork um, to make it as kind of seamless uh, an a, a experience as possible. But it's it's doable.
0: It's yeah. uh, and it's it's such a great scenario. It's such a great great experience for the players. So we're going to talk about all this stuff in the next episode. We'll go into more detail. Folks, if you are enjoying it, please subscribe to us. Our Patreon is available uh, at patreon.com forward slash MaydayRP where you can find lots of stuff. Uh, These Patreon-exclusive episodes that we are offering in tandem with these free episodes have maps and images from the book and details that you are not going to find in the free version. So please be sure to sign up at any patron level, which will get you access to these more in-depth, exclusive episodes. Uh, Vince, thanks again. I'll see you on the other side.
1: Thanks for having me, man. We'll, We'll be seeing ya.